0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kevin Laverne. Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Seas by Jules Verne. Second part, Chapter 21 A Mass Execution. THE WAY HE SAID THIS, THE UNEXPECTEDNESS OF THIS SCENE, FIRST THE BIOGRAPHY OF THIS PATRIOTIC SHIP, THEN THE EXCITEMENT WITH WHICH THIS ECCENTRIC INDIVIDUAL PRONOUNCED THESE LAST WORDS, THE NAME AVENGER, WHOSE SIGNIFICANCE COULD NOT ESCAPE ME, ALL THIS TAKEN TOGETHER HAD A PROFOUND IMPACT ON MY MIND. MY EYES NEVER LEFT THE CAPTAIN, HANDS OUTSTRETCHED TOWARD THE SEA he contemplated the proud wreck with blazing eyes. Perhaps I would never learn who he was, where he came from, or where he was heading. But more and more I could see a distinction between the man and the scientist. It was no ordinary misanthropy that kept Captain Nemo and his companions sequestered inside of the Nautilus's plating, but a hate so monstrous or so sublime that the passing years could never weaken it. Did this hate also hunger for vengeance? Time would soon tell. Meanwhile the Nautilus rose slowly to the surface of the sea, and I watched the avenger's murky shape disappearing little by little. Soon a gentle rolling told me that we were afloat in the open air. Just then a hollow explosion was audible. I looked at the captain. The captain did not stir. "'Captain?' I said. He didn't reply. I left him and climbed onto the platform. Consile and the Canadian were already there. "'What caused that explosion?' I asked. "'A cannon going off,' Ned Land replied. I stared in the direction of the ship I had spotted. It was heading toward the Nautilus, and you could tell it had put on steam— Six miles separated it from us. What sort of craft is it, Ned? From its rigging and its low masts, the Canadian replied, I bet it's a warship. Here's hoping it pulls up and sinks this damned Nautilus. Ned, my friend, Conseil replied, what harm could it do the Nautilus? Will it attack us under the waves? Will it cannonade us at the bottom of the sea? Tell me, Ned, I asked. "'Can you make out the nationality of that craft?' Creasing his brow, lowering his lids, and puckering the corners of his eyes, the Canadian focused the full power of his gaze on the ship for a short while. "'No, sir,' he replied. "'I can't make out what nation it's from. It's flying no flag. But I'll swear it's a warship, because there's a long pennant streaming from the peak of its mainmast.' For a quarter of an hour we continued to watch the craft bearing down on us. But it was inconceivable to me that it had discovered the Nautilus at such a distance, still less that it knew what this underwater machine really was. Soon the Canadian announced that the craft was a big battleship, a double-decker ironclad complete with ram. Dark, dense smoke burst from its two funnels. Its furled sails merged with the lines of its yardarms. The gaff of its fore and aft sail flew no flag. Its distance still kept us from distinguishing the colors of its pennant, which was fluttering like a thin ribbon. It was coming on fast. If Captain Nemo let it approach, a chance for salvation might be available to us. Sir, Ned Land told me. "'If that boat gets within a mile of us, I'm jumping overboard, and I suggest you follow suit.' I didn't reply to the Canadian's proposition, but kept watching the ship, which was looming larger on the horizon. Whether it was English, French, American, or Russian, it would surely welcome us aboard if we could just get to it. Master may recall, Conseil then said, that we have some experience with swimming.' He can rely on me to tow him to that vessel, if he's agreeable to going with our friend Ned. Before I could reply, white smoke streamed from the battleship's bow. Then, a few seconds later, the waters splashed astern of the Nautilus, disturbed by the fall of a heavy object. Soon after, an explosion struck my ears. "'What's this? They're firing at us?' I exclaimed. "'Good lads!' the Canadian muttered." That means they don't see us as castaways clinging to some wreckage. With all due respect to master, gracious! Conseil put in, shaking off the water that had sprayed over him from another shell. With all due respect to master, they've discovered the narwhale and they're cannoning the same. But it must be clear to them, I exclaimed, that they're dealing with human beings. Maybe that's why, Ned Land replied, staring hard at me. The full truth dawned on me. Undoubtedly, people now knew where they stood on the existence of this so-called monster. Undoubtedly, the latter's encounter with the Abraham Lincoln, when the Canadian hit it with his harpoon, had led Commander Farragut to recognize the narwhal as actually an underwater boat, more dangerous than any unearthly cetacean. Yes, this had to be the case, and undoubtedly they were now chasing this dreadful engine of destruction on every sea. Dreadful, indeed, if, as we could imagine, Captain Nemo had been using the Nautilus in works of vengeance. That night, in the middle of the Indian Ocean, when he imprisoned us in the cell, hadn't he attacked some ship? That man now buried in the coral cemetery, wasn't he the victim of some collision caused by the Nautilus?' "'Yes, I repeat, this had to be the case. "'One part of Captain Nemo's secret life had been unveiled. "'And now, even though his identity was still unknown, "'at least the nations allied against him knew "'they were no longer hunting some fairy-tale monster, "'but a man who had sworn an implacable hate toward them. "'This whole fearsome sequence of events appeared in my mind's eye.' Instead of encountering friends on this approaching ship, we would find only pitiless enemies. Meanwhile, shells fell around us in increasing numbers. Some, meeting the liquid surface, would ricochet and vanish into the sea at considerable distances. But none of them reached the Nautilus. By then the ironclad was no more than three miles off. Despite its violent cannonade, Captain Nemo hadn't appeared on the platform. And yet, if one of those conical shells had scored a routine hit on the Nautilus's hull, it could have been fatal to him. The Canadian then told me, "'Sir, we've got to do everything we can to get out of this jam. Let's signal them. Damnation! Maybe they'll realize we're decent people.' Ned Land pulled out his handkerchief to wave it in the air, but he had barely unfolded it when he was felled by an iron fist, and, despite his great strength, he tumbled to the deck. "'Scum!' the captain shouted. "'Do you want to be nailed to the Nautilus's spur before it charges that ship?' Dreadful to hear, Captain Nemo was even more dreadful to see. His face was pale from some spasm of his heart, which must have stopped beating for an instant.' His pupils were hideously contracted. His voice was no longer speaking. It was bellowing. Bending from the waist, he shook the Canadian by the shoulders. Then dropping Ned and turning to the battleship, whose shells were showering around him. "'Oh, ship of an accursed nation, you know who I am!' he shouted in his powerful voice. "'And I don't need your colors to recognize you. Look! I'll show you mine!' and in the bow of the platform Captain Nemo unfurled a black flag, like the one he had left planted at the South Pole. Just then a shell hit the Nautilus's hull obliquely, failed to breach it, ricocheted near the Captain, and vanished into the sea. Captain Nemo shrugged his shoulders, then addressing me. "'Go below,' he told me in a curt tone. "'You and your companions, go below.' "'Sir,' I exclaimed, "'are you going to attack this ship?' "'Sir, I'm going to sink it.' "'You wouldn't.' "'I will,' Captain Nemo replied icily. "'You're ill-advised to pass judgment on me, sir. "'Fate has shown you what you weren't meant to see. "'The attack has come. "'Our reply will be dreadful. "'Get back inside.' "'From what country is that ship?' "'You don't know?' "'Fine, so much the better. "'At least its nationality will remain a secret to you. "'Go below!' "'The Canadian, Concile, and I could only obey. "'Some fifteen of the Nautilus's seamen surrounded their captain "'and stared with a feeling of implacable hate at the ship bearing down on them. "'You could feel the same spirit of vengeance enkindling their every soul.' I went below, just as another projectile scraped the Nautilus's hull, and I heard the captain exclaim, "'Shoot, you demented vessel! Shower you futile shells! You won't escape the Nautilus's spur! But this isn't the place where you'll perish. I don't want your wreckage mingling with that of the Avenger!' I repaired to my stateroom. The captain and his chief officer stayed on the platform. The propeller was set in motion. The Nautilus swiftly retreated, putting us outside the range of the vessel's shells. But the chase continued, and Captain Nemo was content to keep his distance. Near four o'clock in the afternoon, unable to control the impatience and uneasiness devouring me, I went back to the central companionway. The hatch was open. I ventured onto the platform. The captain was still strolling there. His steps agitated. He stared at the ship, which stayed to his leeward five or six miles off. He was circling it like a wild beast, drawing it eastward, letting it chase after him, yet he didn't attack. Was he, perhaps, still undecided? I tried to intervene one last time, but I had barely queried Captain Nemo when the latter silenced me. "'I'm the law!' I'm the tribunal. I'm the oppressed, and there are my oppressors. Thanks to them, I've witnessed the destruction of everything I loved, cherished, and venerated-homeland, wife, children, father, and mother. There lies everything I hate. Not another word out of you. I took a last look at the battleship, which was putting on steam. Then I rejoined Ned and Conseil. We'll escape, I exclaimed. Good, Ned put in. Where's that ship from? I've no idea, but wherever it's from, it will sink before nightfall. In any event, it's better to perish with it than be accomplices in some act of revenge whose merits we can't gauge. That's my feeling, Ned Land replied coolly. Let's wait for nightfall. Night fell. A profound silence reigned on board. The compass indicated that the Nautilus hadn't changed direction. I could hear the beat of its propeller churning the waves with steady speed. Staying on the surface of the water, it rolled gently, sometimes to one side, sometimes to the other. My companions and I had decided to escape as soon as the vessel came close enough for us to be heard, or seen, because the moon would wax full in three days and was shining brightly. Once we were aboard that ship— "'If we couldn't ward off the blow that threatened it, "'at least we could do everything that circumstances permitted. "'Several times I thought the Nautilus was about to attack, "'but it was content to let its adversary approach, "'and then it would quickly resume its retreating ways. "'Part of the night passed without incident. "'We kept watch for an opportunity to take action. "'We talked little, being too keyed up. "'Ned Land was all for jumping overboard.' "'I forced him to wait. "'As I saw it, the Nautilus would attack the double-decker "'on the surface of the waves, "'and then it would be not only possible, but easy to escape. "'At three o'clock in the morning, full of uneasiness, "'I climbed onto the platform. "'Captain Nemo hadn't left it. "'He stood in the bow next to his flag, "'which a mild breeze was unfurling above his head. "'His eyes never left that vessel.' The extraordinary intensity of his gaze seemed to attract it, beguile it, and draw it more surely than if he had it in tow. The moon had then passed its zenith. Jupiter was rising in the east. In the midst of this placid, natural setting, sky and ocean competed with each other in tranquillity, and the sea offered the orb of night the loveliest mirror ever to reflect its image. And when I compared this deep calm of the elements, with all the fury seething inside the plating of this barely perceptible nautilus, I shivered all over. The vessel was two miles off. It drew nearer, always moving toward the phosphorescent glow that signaled the nautilus's presence. I saw its green and red running lights, plus the white lantern hanging from the large stay of its foremast, Hazy flickerings were reflected on its rigging, and indicated that its furnaces were pushed to the limit. Showers of sparks and cinders of flaming coal escaped from its funnels, spangling the air with stars. I stood there until six o'clock in the morning, Captain Nemo never seeming to notice me. The vessel lay a mile and a half off, and with the first glimmers of daylight it resumed its cannonade. The time couldn't be far away when the Nautilus would attack its adversary, and my companions and I would leave forever this man I dared not judge. I was about to go below to alert them when the chief officer climbed onto the platform. Several seamen were with him. Captain Nemo didn't see them or didn't want to see them. They carried out certain procedures that, on the Nautilus, you could call clearing the decks for action. They were quite simple. The man ropes that formed a handrail around the platform were lowered. Likewise the pilot house and the beacon housing were withdrawn into the hole until they lay exactly flush with it. The surface of this long sheet iron cigar no longer offered a single protrusion that could hamper its maneuvers. I returned to the lounge. The Nautilus still emerged above the surface. A few morning gleams infiltrated the liquid strata. Beneath the undulations of the billows, the windows were enlivened by the blushing of the rising sun. That dreadful day of June, too, had dawned. At seven o'clock the log told me that the Nautilus had reduced speed. I realized that it was letting the warship approach. Moreover, the explosions grew more intensely audible. Shells furrowed the water around us, drilling through it with an odd hissing sound. "'My friends,' I said, "'it's time. "'Let's shake hands, and may God be with us.' Ned Land was determined. "'Concile calm. "'I myself nervous and barely in control. "'We went into the library. "'Just as I pushed open the door leading to the well of the central companionway, "'I heard the hatch close sharply overhead. "'The Canadian leaped up the steps, but I stopped him.' A well known hissing told me that water was entering the ship's ballast tanks. Indeed, in a few moments the Nautilus had submerged some meters below the surface of the waves. I understood this maneuver. It was too late to take action. The Nautilus wasn't going to strike the double decker where it was clad in impenetrable iron armor, but below its waterline, where the metal carapace no longer protected its planking. We were prisoners once more unwilling spectators at the performance of this gruesome drama. But we barely had time to think. Taking refuge in my stateroom, we stared at each other without pronouncing a word. My mind was in a total daze. My mental processes came to a dead stop. I hovered in that painful state that predominates during the period of anticipation before some frightful explosion. I waited. I listened. I lived only through my sense of hearing." Meanwhile, the nautilus's speed had increased appreciably, so it was gathering momentum. Its entire hull was vibrating. Suddenly I let out a yell. There had been a collision, but it was comparatively mild. I could feel the penetrating force of the steel spur. I could hear scratchings and scrapings carried away with its driving power, the Nautilus had passed through the vessel's mast like a sailmaker's needle through canvas. I couldn't hold still. Frantic, going insane, I leaped out of my stateroom and rushed into the lounge. Captain Nemo was there. Mute, gloomy, implacable, he was staring through the port panel. An enormous mass was sinking beneath the waters, and the Nautilus, missing none of its death-throes, "'was descending into the depths with it. Ten meters away I could see its gaping hull, "'into which water was rushing with a sound of thunder. "'Then its double rows of cannons and railings. "'Its deck was covered with dark, quivering shadows. "'The water was rising. "'Those poor men leaped up into the shrouds, "'clung to the masts, writhed beneath the waters. "'It was a human anthill.' that an invading sea had caught by surprise. Paralyzed, rigid with anguish, my hair standing on end, my eyes popping out of my head, short of breath, suffocating, speechless, I stared. I, too. I was glued to the window by an irresistible allure. The enormous vessel settled slowly. Following it down, the Nautilus kept watch on its every movement suddenly there was an eruption the air compressed inside the craft sent its decks flying as if the powder stores had been ignited the thrust of the waters was so great the nautilus swerved away the poor ship then sank more swiftly its mastheads appeared laden with victims then its cross-trees bending under clusters of men finally the peak of its mainmast then the dark mass disappeared "'and with it a crew of corpses dragged under by fearsome eddies. "'I turned to Captain Nemo. "'This dreadful executioner, this true archangel of hate, was still staring. "'When it was all over, Captain Nemo headed to the door of his stateroom, "'opened it, and entered. "'I followed him with my eyes.' On the rear paneling, beneath the portraits of his heroes, I saw the portrait of a still youthful woman with two little children. Captain Nemo stared at them for a few moments, stretched out his arms to them, sank to his knees, and melted into sobs. End of chapter 21 Recording by Kevin Laverne